Hi folks, Ken Weinstein here. It's been an eventful two weeks on the national security front. Congressional investigations into the firing of State Department Inspector General Steve Linick are picking up steam, and they're picking up steam just as his successor, Stephen Ackard, resigns less than three months into the job. Also, questions continue to surface about DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, and its response to the protests up in the Northwest. Also, we have an intelligence assessment about the threat of foreign election interference that was issued by the intelligence community, and that assessment has drawn concerns from Democratic lawmakers, uh, and a number of other issues. And I'll be talking about all this and more with Lisa Monaco on this week's episode of United Security. Today, we're sharing a clip with listeners of Stay Tuned with Preet. And to listen to our full conversation and to access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do so at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. Note that college students with a valid .edu email can qualify for a special discount. Head to cafe.com slash student. That's cafe.com slash student. And we look forward to having you as part of our insider community. Before we leave the intelligence issue generally, we've got another kind of piece of more breaking news in the intelligence world, and that's this most recent assessment articulated by Bill Levinina of the uh, National Counterintelligence uh, Center and about foreign election interference. And far from kind of promoting a unified view and summoning a kind of unified purpose against foreign election interference, it's really thrown a bit of a hand grenade into the into the environment here and kicked up quite uh, quite a load of dust. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, uh, Bill Levinina is the head of the NCSC, which is the National Counterintelligence and Security Center. And he um, issued a sort of a threat assessment about election interference for the upcoming election. And, and he, he says that they're primarily concerned with China, Russia, and Iran. And he then goes through what each of them, uh, the interests of China, the interests of Russia, and the interests of Iran, and and trying to possibly disrupt our election in various ways. And, it, um, and it's interesting. One of the things that it's caught, caught some criticism for is that it sort of puts Russia on a par with these other two. And of course, Russian interference has been the controversial issue since 2016. Um, and so some have seen in the way Russia has put on a parody with China and Iran as an effort to sort of de-emphasize that risk um, and de-emphasize the role of Russia in attacking our elections. But, you know, look, no question that China and Iran have every intention of trying to damage our elections. And China, for example, I remember when I was Homeland Security Advisor during the campaign between McCain and, and President Obama, um, it came to our attention that China was hacking into the uh, databases and the computers of both the McCain and the Obama um, campaigns. And um, the decision was made to, to brief both campaigns up on that, do a defensive briefing. Yeah, I remember that. You know how I remember that? I was chief of staff of the FBI at the time. And I called a guy by the name of Dennis McDonough. I'll be darned. Yeah, at the time, he was the kind of chief national security aide to then-Senator Obama, who was obviously the Democratic nominee. And I called up Dennis. I'd never met him before. I said, um, listen, uh, you don't know me, uh, but I'm Bob Mueller's chief of staff, and I want to tell you you're going to get a call from a, from a nice guy by the name of Sean Henry, who was then an FBI agent, head of the cyber uh, division at the FBI, uh, and he wants to come and talk to you about how China's 
trying to infiltrate the campaign. And that was my first introduction to Dennis. And he and I have chuckled over that introduction many, many times over the years. But of course, that was um, China infiltrating for intelligence collection. Right. Right. It, it was uh, it was them trying to just get intel on the understandably, you know, on, on the campaigns and on the candidates and their platforms, et cetera. And uh, interesting, I hadn't realized that you were on the other end of this because yeah. um, I was uh, in the Oval Office when the president and uh, it was Josh Bolton talked about that intelligence and said, absolutely, we've got to brief up the campaigns. Uh, and then you got the word, though, knowing the FBI, maybe you guys had already done it before. Uh, getting getting <laughs> without, direction anyway. Without notifying the White House, <laughs> right, exactly. It wouldn't be unprecedented. Um, but it's uh, but it, it, it was looking at it, you know, in hindsight, um, it was kind of quaint. It was just good old intelligence gathering. And of course, in 2008, it went from, you know, foreign governments gathering intelligence to, you know, full-on disruption efforts and uh, efforts to influence um the, the American people. And that is one of the reasons why people are concerned about the Savonina statement, because the concern is that it really doesn't educate the American people about the threat we're facing. And while in the context of the China intelligence uh, operations in 2018, that can be addressed by telling the campaigns, hey, they're trying to hack into your systems, you know, and then you just build your defenses. When, when the malign efforts by a foreign government are not just that, but actually go to trying to spread misinformation to the American people, the way to build defenses to that is with the American people. And you can only do that and only build those defenses if you tell the American people to be wary of misinformation and influence efforts. And the concern is that we that this statement and any other efforts that we've seen to date haven't sort of been the clarion call that, that is needed to tell the American people, watch out, be careful, when you read things, be careful. They might be actually sourced to the Russians or to the Iranians or the Chinese and w- might not actually be true. And that's the only way that you can combat that. And I am concerned that there's not enough public, uh, we're not sensitizing the public to that threat enough. And we might now have a rerun of 2016 if we're not careful. Well, and, you know, it's just a replay of, of having this be waged on partisan grounds. Right. So Evanina has issued this intelligence assessment. Democratic leaders have criticized it as being uh, so generic as to be, um, you know, not helpful. Now, unfortunately, that criticism is coming only from one side of the political aisle. So it immediately puts all of this into a political maelstrom. Right. But there can be good reasons for not sharing everything that the government knows about what the efforts of these countries um, and these malicious actors are, right? You don't want to disclose perhaps how much you know and how you know it, right? But to your point, I think we really do need to lean forward in describing what it is we know about these efforts so that the American people can make decisions about the types of information they're seeing in their Twitter feed, in their Facebook feed, you know, and really going into this kind of eyes eyes wide open. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the danger of either not sharing more information and having this all be discussed solely through a partisan lens. Yeah, it's worth sort of going back and thinking about how you and your colleagues handled this situation back in 2016, where you faced a very difficult choice, um, which I've had, opp- had occasion to sort of learn about both 
by reading the papers and also through some of my uh, representations of former government officials, where you all had to wrestle with the dawning realization of this really comprehensive effort on the part of the Russians to spread misinformation and influence the American voters, but do so in the run-up to an election where, you know, obviously, the, you had um, a Democratic nominee going up against a Republican nominee, and anything that you said publicly would be seen through the prism of the politics of the, of the election and interpreted by some uh, not as an effort just to protect the integrity of the election, but maybe as an effort to sway the election. I know that was a tough spot to be in. Yeah, you know, look, I think th- there's been a lot that's been written and said about how the Obama administration and we in the Obama administration responded to the Russian efforts to influence the election in 2016 and to sow discord in the electoral process. You know, I come away from that with a number of things that I think are lessons we should have learned. One, that, you know, you need a unified bipartisan response to the Russian effort to sow discord amongst us, right? They were, they did then, and I think will continue to do and are continuing to do so now, to trying to sow discord and use our divisions and play up our divisions and, and use them against us. And the best antidote to that is uh, unity, right? And bipartisan unity. And we unfortunately were not able to get that in 2016. I fear we're not uh, better poised now. Uh, to have a bipartisan, unified approach to foreign influence. And then the other thing is, to your point, give more information to the American people and do so in as apolitical a way as possible. We struggled in 2016 with when and how to articulate what we saw the Russians doing. We ended up issuing a, a kind of very unusual statement by the then Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Homeland Security on October 7th of 2016 that laid out that uh, the Russians were trying to sow discord and probe our state election systems. And uh, it was a very unusual, unprecedented statement at the time, Um, but it quickly got drowned out. Uh, And we said in that statement that it was being directed by the highest levels of the Russian government right? We didn't say the words of Vladimir Putin, but we might as well have, right? Because of the way that statement was written. But it quickly got drowned out because on that same day, the Axis Hollywood tape dropped and all attention focused there. I think in the future, you know, what we really need is a clear mandate for the intelligence community to tell the American public what it knows about foreign election interference uh, and to do so in an unclassified forum. Yeah, and I think that's vital. And it's it's unfortunate that we don't have a mechanism in place to do that. And in fact, you know, in the aftermath of the election, I, I testified before the Judiciary Committee and the Senate, um, along with a few others on this very issue. Another proposal draws from the lessons learned in the run-up to the 2016 election, when the Obama administration struggled with the question whether and how much information to provide the public about the Russian interference efforts they were detecting, torn between a desire to inform the public and the need to refrain from public announcements that could be seen as an attempt to affect the outcome of the election. In order to avoid that dilemma in future election cycles, some have recommended that Congress passed legislation recommending or requiring the DNI to report at intervals leading up to a federal election whether the intelligence community is detecting any foreign interference with the upcoming election and the source and extent of that interference. 
thereby ensuring that voters are on notice and on the lookout for misleading propaganda and disinformation in the run-up to an election, which is the most effective way to neutralize a foreign influence campaign. One of the things that we proposed, and I'm sure I stole the idea from somebody else, but you know, one of the things I was pushing was exactly that, uh, a law that says that it, it, like maybe at the nine-month point before an election, and then at the six-month or at the three-month point before an election, the intelligence community is mandated to provide the American people and Congress with, you know, respectively unclassified and classified reports on what sort of foreign interference efforts they're seeing so that the American people can be as advised and or as informed as they can be within the constraints of classified or, you know, within the constraints of an unclassified context. And that Congress can receive the same briefing uh, in a classified way so that nobody can say, you know, that the intelligence community of that particular administration had a political agenda in deciding to make those reports. They're mandated to make them. So that takes the next administration, and if that had been put in place, it would take this administration out of the very difficult position you guys were in in deciding whether and how to inform the American people in Congress about what you were seeing. Unfortunately, that wasn't taken up by Congress, and. Um, and while I'm sure there are things being done behind the scenes in terms of intelligence operations and the like to try to rebuff any kind of efforts like that, it's unfortunate that we haven't done more uh, to, um, to you know, get the word out to the American people of what kind of threat we're facing. I totally agree. And having that type of mandate would take the politics out of it, right, and would just put it as a, a routine mandate by the intelligence community to make those reports. So we'll see what happens uh, after the election, and hopefully we're not regretting, or really regretting, our, uh, our inaction on these fronts. And so look, before we wrap up... I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the United Security Podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid .edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>